0: Welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. My name is Sonny Bunch. I'm cultural editor at The Bulwark, and uh, I'm very pleased to be joined today by Eric Nelson. Eric is the vice president and editorial director at Broadside Books. Uh, He has been there since, he's been at Harper since 2017. And I'm very excited to have him on today because I, I wanted to talk to Eric about something that's very interesting to me, um, and maybe maybe you know people don't quite understand this, but there are lots of conspiracy theories about book sales. Um, there are, there are lots of people who simply don't believe that certain certain people could sell a certain number of books, uh, and this is very amusing to me because Eric uh, is the editor on two recent bestsellers, one of which by, uh, is by my my colleague and my friend uh, Tim Miller, his book about you know his kind of time uh, of horror. As Trump comes to comes to power, great book. Everybody should check it out. Um, and uh, also Jared Kushner's new book, another bestseller. Uh, obviously, a very different point of view than than my friend Tim's. Um, but uh, you know, equally, maybe not equally, maybe maybe much more popular. Who who could say much less popular? And this is one of the questions uh, that I have for Eric because. Book sales are kind of a black box—not really a black box, but a blackish box, right? We don't have like box office numbers that say, "Okay, here's how much money a movie made," um, and it goes out to everybody, and everybody can, you know, check it out on Variety every week. Instead, we have bestseller lists that are kind of informed by book scan, but not really. Explain this to folks who don't really understand how book sales work and how they're tabulated and how they are kind of uh, how how these bestseller lists
1: are created okay so the uh publisher's weekly list is that list that you think doesn't exist the publisher's weekly list is it's it's not just informed by BookScan. it's just the book scan list and BookScan is the nielsen ratings company you know that does tv they also do a point of purchase system where they count every book that's sold through a major retailer and most of the independent retailers so whether you buy it in the grocery store or at you know the uh, a bookstore in your small university town, um, it, it goes into BookScan and then Publishers Weekly publishes their bestseller list and they'll say, you know, this week Jared Kushner's book sold forty six thousand two hundred thirty one copies and you can actually look at that for yourself. So that's the PW list and the Wall Street Journal list is also, uh, um, it's also from BookScan so it. It's always the same as the PW list, even though it pretends like it's a separate product. Um, and then there's the New York Times list, which is no one knows how it gets made. I mean, there are we have sales analysts who have put countless hours into trying to reverse engineer it to figure it out what it is. Part of what skews it is is that um, it comes out every Wednesday night uh, around five o'clock and. If everyone else is delayed because Barnes & Noble is like, we had a computer crash and we can't submit our numbers this week, um, they'll all delay while they wait to hear from Barnes & Noble and the New York Times is like, oh, here's our list. So the, the, there's no one really quite knows um, what the book what the New York Times list does explicitly say they are is a list of the best-selling books um, that their readers would be interested in. So they feel free to exclude books because they don't feel like this is the right sort of, you know, it doesn't fit into any of the categories. For a long time, they left out religion books. They had a religion bestseller list, and then they got rid of it, and then they just didn't include religion books at all, and then now they sort of include religion books, and there are lots of books they don't include. 1984 by George Orwell. There, there hasn't been a week in my lifetime that it isn't one of the 15 bestselling fiction paperbacks in the country. Um, but... It's old, so they don't count it. Um, if they did a new special edition, m- maybe it would come up. But um, as long as they're just uh, an old book, it doesn't count. So theirs is an editorial product that they are, that they are um, putting out. And it seems like they heavily weight independent bookstores and then brick and mortars, real uh, regular bookstores um, like Books A Million and Barnes and & Noble and then Target and then Amazon the least. Uh, which is where um, frequently there's the, uh, there's a, a sort of conservative conspiracy theory, which the New York Times just leaves them off um, out, of, out of malice and spite. Um, and that's not true. What happens is, is that usually they just get downgraded or not included because remember, if you're counting Amazon less than everywhere else, nobody is buying um, Jared Kushner's book at an independent bookstore in a university town, right? That everyone who's buying is buying on Amazon. When you have someone, you know, like um like Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity, a lot of those books are going to places that don't even have a Barnes and Noble. You know what I mean? They're going all over Tennessee, and I don't know how many Barnes and Nobles are in Tennessee, but in <laughs> the uh, outside of uh yeah. the three urban areas, probably not very many. Um so, so what happens is all those books are just the New York Times has specifically created a system where if you're, um, you know, a, a book about tech, especially, um, is another area where people mostly buy it on Amazon, um, and, and aren't going to bookstores. Some sorts of business books, those things all tend to get counted less than other books on the New York Times list.
0: Uh, yeah, to, to to clarify something, when I say that that the you know the the bestseller list of just pure numbers doesn't really exist, it, what I mean more is that it is it's not. And maybe I'm wrong here. This is just my understanding. It is not something a, a publisher is not likely to put Publishers Weekly bestseller on the cover of their their book. Right? It's like New York Times bestseller. That's what that's what yeah. everybody wants. Everybody wants New York Times bestseller. Maybe they'll or, put Wall Street Journal bestseller on there, yeah. but it's like, that's
1: that's the stamp, right? That's like yeah. the number one it, thing. If it's businessy, you might put Wall Street Journal bestseller on it. Um, if it's romance, they often put USA Today bestseller on it. Um, and then for the rest of the industry, we have a thing called a national bestseller, which you've probably seen on a lot of book covers. And the sort of unwritten rule is um, it makes two bestseller lists you can call it a national bestseller. So if it's on USA Today, NPW. If it's on the Wall Street Journal um, and it's on the LA Times regional list, you can call it a national bestseller. That's sort of a leftover from when um, the Post and the LA Times and the San Francisco Chronicle, um, they used to all have local bestseller lists where they canvassed local um, stores and put what their local bestseller was. And that's why if you were... A bestseller in Washington and the LA Times, you're a national bestseller. But now everyone uses it, um, you know, for for a book that didn't make the Times, a, a book that should have and did not make the Times. We'll say national bestseller <laughs> on the front. Yeah. Uh,
0: I, I, you you mentioned something very
1: interesting, and I want I want to drill down on that for a
0: second. Uh, the the idea that 1984 should be on every bestseller list every every week, that it's constantly. How many? Uh, how, ma- how many? How many? classic books are like that. If you, if you looked at the, the actual, just pure number of books sold, uh, how often would the fiction bestseller list just be dominated by 1984? You know, I I don't know, like Atlas shrugged, you know, like the kind of the books that sell a ton that everybody, everybody talks about all the time, but
1: you know, you You, don't want to have the same list every week. You can, you can just look at, um, the top 100 on Amazon and see it. And, um, 1984 is always in there, and the other book um, is the American Psychological Association's like uh, handbook for for writing, like it's it's how to appropriately footnote things, and um, mm-hmm. according to the American Psychological Association, those are both always in the Amazon 100, and but but don't make the New York Times bestseller list. Um, I don't know how many of the other ones there are. 1984 is the one. Uh, there's, um, I'm not sure what's happening with Tolkien right now, but that's an example where mm-hmm. because of the new show, um, I would bet that the... Well, now's a little bit of a weird time for the paperback fiction list, but I, which I can go into for a minute. But um, normally, like those wouldn't count, but then if you do a new edition, that's a movie tie-in edition, then it counts, and then sometimes... The New York Times will count all of the different ISBNs as one, to put one of them on the list, and sometimes it doesn't. And so it's, it's hard to figure out whether or not they're going to include um, something that has a bunch of different editions or not. Right now is a particularly weird moment, though, because of Colleen Hoover, which is not a um, – I mean, you've maybe read some book talk stories, which is like mm-hmm. TikTok has made a bunch of books popular. But Colleen Hoover is sort of in a um, – uh like Hunger Games, um Harry Potter kind of space. Like level of sales of just every week. She dominates the whole list with all of her books. And so there's no room for anything else because Colleen Hoover is this massive cultural but you you and I are like middle aged white guys, so we don't Right. So we don't we're not reading Colleen Hoover or talking about it. But um but and and it's um two like my kids are not the age to be reading Colleen Hoover, but it is—it's a huge cultural phenomenon that does not get discussed anywhere. That Colleen Hoover is yeah. is the most important writer in America right now, that you've never heard. How of. many? I mean, I, I mean, how many invisible uh, massive
0: sellers like that are? I mean, and when I say invisible, I mean invisible to the general cultural conversation. Yeah, you know, because I, for instance, I was um. I was looking up some some stats uh, for a recent piece I was writing about anime, and there's a there's a author of uh, manga style comics who uh, I like the the dog dog man you know dog cop I I don't know like it, 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 just millions and millions of copies yeah Mil- and nobody ever t- nobody in the in the again in the like uh, elevated cultural conversation ever talks about this but it's huge
1: yeah I mean. It's funny when you look at um, the list of top 10 bestsellers every year um, and there's always like one person in there that you're like who I remember going through this with um, with uh, uh, it was a more perfect union and he wrote gifted hands he was uh, the the neurosurgeon who served under Trump why am I blanking on his name Oh uh, Ben Carson Ben Carson Ben Carson, at the point that he he was uh he was running for it was before he ran for president, and I would have conversations with people where I would say I worked at the time at um at Sentinel which published him, and I'd say and we have Ben Carson, and I would get a blank stare from people in the industry, and I would say his book is currently number one on the nonfiction list, and I would get a blank stare. Was like, and it has been for four consecutive weeks, and I would get a blank stare. It's just like the it's a sort of, liberals would look at the list. And just skip past that one. It's like they just didn't bother to process it. And then when he when he ran for president, it was suddenly popular. People were like, who is this guy? And I was like, this guy is one of the 10 best-selling writers in America right now. You just don't care. I mean, there's a book that we did yeah. called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck maybe five or six years ago now. And um, it's uh, at some point, it's, it must be entering in the like top 10 self-help books of all time. And... It has like no wider cultural uh, effect, but the book um, I, I we probably at like five or six million copies now. I mean it's there's just nothing like it it's be, it's the number one nonfiction book every year and people yeah. if you're not if you're not a guy buying this guy if you're not somebody buying this guy's book, um, you don't notice it. It's just it's weird I, how things can stay under the yeah. radar.
0: I mean, it, it, the the number you throw out there five or six million. Uh, just for for context, I, I I think on your on your Twitter feed recently you said that the threshold for a New York Times bestseller is something like twenty to twenty five
1: thousand copies. Well, that, is that that's right? yeah. I mean, that's that's life. That's how long a New York Times bestseller sells ever in hardcover. Right. Um, the threshold depends on the time of year. Um, in the fall, it's probably for a hardcover. Um, about 6,000 copies in hardcover gets you on the bestseller list. Um, and uh, But like in August, there was a week this year where there was a book that made the list with 1,400 copies in hardcover was all it had sold. And for the nonfiction list, I mean, nonfiction paperback is not a real category. People just don't care. People don't buy books in non, nonfiction books in paperback. And so... Really? Sometimes the list will go... To, yeah, sometimes the list will fall to... <laughs> Like, there'd be a book that sold 700 copies on the nonfiction list. Well, part of this is, is, and this is, I mean, if you have some real economic wonks out there, they'll uh, enjoy this. When I started in publishing in 1997, $25 was the price of a hardcover. And um, that's like $55 now. and Because $25 is still the standard price for hardcover. And you're buying it on Amazon, you know, for $18.99. So... Books have gotten insanely cheap. And so you can imagine why there was a paperback market for books. If a hardcover book was $55, um, it totally made sense to wait for it to come out and buy it in paperback. But the price differential now between paperbacks and hardcovers is, um, is so small that people don't bother buying paperbacks. It's a pretty rare book. Now, fiction is different because fiction sends a market signal. People see books in paperback, and um, they they just it means something to them when they see a fiction book in paperback about the genre and about you know what what it's for. It's it's yeah,
0: it's that's that's so interesting to me. I had never really thought about that, but I, it makes makes some sense. Has has the Kindle uh, and you know to I guess probably to a lesser extent the Nook replaced the the paperback market at all for 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 nonfiction?
1: yeah so this was um uh there were there were mass market what it replaced was mass market there were mass market imprints at the major houses that essentially been dismantled and everyone laid off over the past 10 years because um those were people who were there were very few people who were um price sensitive and not quality sensitive right i mean the biggest price for you in reading a book is the time you have to spend reading it right the actual cost of the book is immaterial compared to am i really ready to devote three weeks right to reading only sure. this book and so um but there are people who read um sort of science fiction and a certain kind of crime book and um and a lot of uh genre um romance novels that were not price sensitive. They were they were used to getting the books free at a spinning thing in the library, like leave one leave a romance, take a romance. And so those people flocked to the inexpensive um, Kindle books. But but then once they had wiped out the mass market, um, we didn't see much of an increase. So like all the publishers except for Random House went all in on like e-books are the future. And Random House, partially because the guy who runs it started as a printer and so has like in his heart a love for print and ink and didn't buy that people were going to. What we've actually seen is digital audio is the format, the life changing format that ebooks never turned out to be. Digital audio um is for, for a lot for for certain kinds of books can be as much as fifty percent of the market. I have a book um that came out that's been a a big success for us called the end of the world is just the beginning. And, um, it's a, it's a businessy book, but it's a very like red team, um, out there kind of book about the the shape of the world for the next 50 years by a geographer and, um, and every week we're now, we're selling like 70% of our units every week in digital audio. When you say digital audio, you mean like
0: audiobook, like audiobooks, yes, yeah. Et, yeah, et cetera, yeah, yeah, audiobook. Uh, yeah, I mean, that that's interesting, and that tracks with frankly my experience. I, you know, sometimes uh, some of my podcaster friends yell at me because I've not listened to their podcast, but that's because when I'm at the gym, the only time I have to listen to stuff is at the gym basically i you know cuz i'm either reading or working or writing the rest of the time watching movies or tv shows whatever uh when i'm at the gym and i can you know get on the elliptical and do my hard hardcore uh you know 40 minutes of cardio uh two or three times a week that's when i listen to things but i listen to audiobooks because they are like they're just better i mean they're just they're just better to to do i i don't know uh it's interesting that yeah. that is a thing that I'm sorry, I'm rambling now, but that's no. a thing that tracks that I yeah. I think, you know.
1: Now, what speed do you listen to audiobooks on?
0: I, I listen to uh Well, it depends. See, it's it's interesting. It depends if I'm listening to something that is narrated by a person I know so or am familiar with. So, like, for instance, uh, I'm currently listening to a Bruce Campbell book. Um, I listen at one time speed because I like their, but if it's somebody I don't know, it's usually at 1.25 or even 1.5.
1: Yeah. So the, I think this is a big part of why people started switching over to digital audio is the higher speed. So I, I have a couple, I love John Sanford and I love his audiobooks, the, the, uh, the police procedural writer. And when I get those, you know, I listen to it slow and, and wallow in it. But if I'm like reading a history of the 20th century, yeah I'll list it on one and a half even one point seven five speed um, because I'm just trying to get the I'm just trying to squeeze all of the juice out of the lemon as fast as I can yeah and so I think there are a lot of people that's why we see business books is a huge category for that because people are just trying to you know they just want this biography of Elon Musk and they want to have it downloaded into their brain as soon as possible do you guys get the data on that how fast people listen to? It? Two, no, two things nope that's why I yeah. asked because it's not it's it's anecdotal is the best research I can do
0: yeah no that's interesting uh, you know everybody complains about the lack of information um, I since we're talking about uh, audible and and Amazon uh, for a second I wanna I want to ask uh, you know one thing people suggest is that people game the Amazon purchase system
1: by buying in bulk? But that's hard, right? Yeah, it, it's it's really hard to do. But because um, I've had authors reach out to me and they, because they start buying in bulk, and I mean bulk by they're like buy order twenty five copies um, through Amazon, and often because through it's actually cheaper for them to order from Amazon than order from us because we are giving them a big discount, but we're charging them for shipping. So if they have Prime, they're like, I will order my own books from Amazon. Um, and then they'll get limited to five books and then no more. And one of the reasons is that um, Amazon worries that, that it's a bot who is leveraging an improper pricing. This actually happened once with sh- um, Salt, Heat, Acid, Fat. Um, that Somehow Amazon accidentally priced it at like $3.99 and it's like a $40 book. And immediately went to number one on Amazon, and no one was even sure. Like it, uh, it eventually they people were buying it to have the book, but people were pretty mm-hmm. sure that it was a bot who was who was buying all the copies, um, and they at least got it drove it into the top one hundred because it was you know buying them and reselling them back yeah, on, sure. on Amazon somehow. Well, there
0: are. Yeah, like arbitrage. Like yeah. they're buying yes. it for four dollars and selling it for ten dollars, yeah. you know, instead of forty when when the price goes back up. Yeah.
1: Interesting. So, um so it's it's hard to do that. And then also, um, I don't I don't think that Amazon would allow you if you bought twenty five hundred copies from Amazon, I don't think it would send you to number one on Amazon. And that's that's enough copies in twenty four hours to get you to Amazon sometime to number one sometimes. I don't think Amazon would do it. I think that they would count each purchase um, as one purchase for the point of the ranking system. There's this, there's mm-hmm. no reason to think. And then one of the things is we can see um, hourly sales for books. And so um, if, if Jared Kushner bought 5,000 books, um, you know, at 7am on a Monday, we could just see in our system, oh, somebody bought 2,500 copies. Right at 7 a.m. Because what we do see is like he he um, he went to number one on Amazon the first day that is the day before his book went out because he did um, Life, Liberty and Levin on Fox, which is the absolute best place to sell books. And Levin said, this is the definitive story of the Trump administration. You're not going to find a better book, which is like what you hope a host would say on air Mm -hmm. about a book. And um, and we could see that. Halfway through the show, um, we started selling thousands of copies, and then like by midnight, it had tapered off. but we were selling we once for Peter Schweitzer, we once sold eighteen thousand copies in one hour after Mark Levin aired because um, he did a whole hour, and just everybody who saw the show it seems like went and bought a copy
0: i'm I'm really interested. so this is one of the reasons why I wanted to to have you on one of the reasons I, I started actually talking to Tim Miller about this because this very this very stat about Mark Levin is is fascinating to me. Um, in terms of in terms of the uh, and you don't feel I, I don't want you to name names here because I don't want you to get in trouble with any bookers or shows or anything. But in terms of the uh the 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 quality of hits, when you were when you as an editor are looking at, where do we want to get our folks? Uh, obviously, the Mark Levin TV show, huge, huge seller. Uh, where else are you looking? And like, what just doesn't really matter from your POV?
1: So the, the, the best things to sell books are um, your, the things that get, there's a movers and shakers list on Amazon, right? Which is books that have suddenly selling a lot more copies than they were just hours ago. And when you see something on that list, it's from a very small number of places. It's from um, prime time uh, talk TV. It's from daytime talk TV, you know, the view um, it's from mm-hmm. a morning show, which could be talking heads TV or the regular morning shows. Um, it can be um, uh, one of a handful of NPR shows that are national. And, It can be from a daily New York Times review, a daily Wall Street Journal review um, or the author's own efforts. They have a newsletter, they have a podcast, um, something to that effect. If if it's not in the list I just gave you, I don't know that it's really going to move. It's going to be a book booking that gets you on the bestseller list. I mean, cumulatively, we still, you know, want to have as much coverage as possible for a book. But you could do um, a ton of podcasts, and you know the the Federalist could write nine articles in one day about you. Oh, I'm sorry, Breitbart should be on the list. Bre- uh, if Breitbart really says your book is a must have book, then it will um, then it will shoot up on Amazon. Um, no. that But that's the only website I know of that has that ability to get people to move like that. Um, so. But there's also a difference, though, in the quality of the hits. Because the thing is, like, why does Terry Gross sell books? And the answer is because the people who who listen to Terry Gross are listening to think, OK, am I going to buy the book by the person who's on Terry today? That's what they think before it even starts. Um, mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, Rachel Maddow show um, used to sell a crazy amount of copies Um, And Tucker Carlson's show can sell a crazy amount of copies, but Jake Tapper's show does not. And the reason isn't just the total number of viewers, it's how they handle the book segment. When Tucker and Rachel do a segment, they're like, this new book is the news. And to know about the news, you have to read this book. And Jake Tapper is like, we have a guy here today who's written a book about China. And he asks him a book about China. he's like, all right, now... You know, is Biden doing a good job of handing China? Let's throw it to the panel. And they bring up six heads and kick it around. And it doesn't it doesn't communicate to readers that the book is the news. And so one of the things for, um, you know, uh, Levin is that he will sometimes do two or three segments or even an entire show around a book or a personality. And then that's that's what sells an insane number, because you could imagine if um, for anyone, if like. Laura Ingram was like, tonight I just have one guest and we're going to spend an hour talking face to face with Lauren Boebert about her new book. Then Lauren Bobert's book would just fly off the shelves because all of Laura Ingram's viewers would be like, oh, this book is major that she just devoted in an hour. And, you know, it's really in-depth and interesting. So, yeah, that's the, that's that's interesting. So uh,
0: you know, one thing, one thing. Uh, back when I uh, was working in kind of more mainstream conservative uh, uh, news, that we would always talk about is: look, conservative books sell more. Conservative, conservative, conservative books sell sell at higher levels, and you know, we we would always say, "Oh well, conservatives, conservatives are really readers." You know that that is always. A thing that that we would talk about is that still true do you find um that conservative conservative branded books sell sell better than you know liberal branded books and i'm curious to get your sense of why that is
1: um there there's a there are a couple different things one i think often um there are books that are liberal that we the liberals aren't counting right <laughs> so um like if brian kilmeade writes a book about george washington Um, that's a conservative book. And then, um, but if Jonathan Alter writes a book about George Washington, that's just a book about George Washington. So some of it is there's a purposeful branding of one as liberal and not because of this sort of bias. Um, A second thing is that um, the conservatives tend to be much more naked in just how they pitch the product, right? So it's easier to get to the top of the bestseller list. Um, with a book that's uh, about – that, where you're just calling the president a jerk, right? Um, If you're – but one of the – we saw so many Trump bestsellers partially because the left finally was like, I'm going to write a book and I'm just going to call it traitor, why the president is a traitor. And so for a long time, just conservatives weren't pulling any punches in their packaging and liberals were. And there's still a strong – push for liberals to call their books, like, you know, the democracy paradox, why our future is at risk from part, you know, something where it's just, it's just not as in your face. Um, and then the third thing is, is that the, the more original the book is, the harder to find this information and argument, um, somewhere other than this book, then the better the book is going to sell. So this is why I mean Alex Jones is at the top of Amazon right now, and RFK wrote a book that said Fauci killed tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of AIDS patients in the 80s. Um, is you can't find that anywhere else. So that's that sells really well. And so one of the things that you're up against when you're doing a liberal book is, um, you know, I, I did a book with Scott Gottlieb that was a bestseller, and we were very proud of how it turned out. It was the best selling. COVID book that took COVID seriously, um, aside from Michael Lewis, who's always the best-selling book on anything. But um, but it was hard. when We knew going in, selling Scott Gottlieb's book, because a book saying, you know, COVID was bad, here's why it was bad, the vaccine was good, here's why it was good, was just what you get every day in almost every media outlet in America. And so he his book was never going to be a massive number one bestseller because... Um, If you wanted that opinion, you could find it somewhere else. And so one of the things that benefits conservative books is the way that they are marginalized by the rest of the media means that um, if you buy a book by a conservative, you're likely to get things that are harder to to find.
0: One thing you just said, uh, if you if you wanted that opinion... Uh, you could find it somewhere else. It's very interesting to me how much how much of book sales do you think is driven by some form of confirmation bias? people trying to find the, the argument the arguments that will help them win arguments?
1: One hundred percent. There's literally no other <laughs> thing that drives people to buy books. There's just there's nothing else that but there's no other impulse that would lead you to purchase a book. And so I always say for nonfiction books, You want your number one Amazon customer to review, to to be headline, I always thought this was true, and now I can prove it, right? So sometimes a young editor will be like, I'm doing a biography of Sting, and it's warts and all. And you're like, no. No one who buys a biography of Sting wants to know about warts. They want to know that the police were the greatest band. They were the greatest reggae band. They were the greatest prog rock band. They were the greatest pop band. You know, you... You buy that book so you can tell your friends, why don't you own every Police album? I have a book that proves Sting is the greatest songwriter and singer in history. That's why you buy that book. And so um, that's true for every book. You you buy a book that's like how to play golf better in 15 minutes. It's because secretly you thought, I'm just 15 minutes away from being an excellent golfer. I just need – someone just needs to tell me the right thing. And then I haven't sort of worked this out for fiction, but I'm positive that it's true for fiction, that that there is like only a dozen fantasies that people bring to books and then they just pick a genre and then push that fantasy into it. I mean, I know what mine is. Mine is Sherlock Holmes. Every book that I really love has a person who gets away with with being terrible at everything because they are super good at their one thing. <laughs> and so I just I'm I I'm very drawn to that in a book, um, yeah. So I, I confirmation bias is always it, but the, the thing is, but it still has to be they have it has to be it's not just I always thought this was true, but the thing is now I can prove it and I couldn't prove it before. So I'll get a pitch for someone who's like I have a book on how open borders are terrible, but and I'm like where. Who, who is the person who is having – who believes that who is currently – doesn't have good information to prove that that's true? And so yeah. you have to say – you have to look at every book and say what are they saying new about this? And often they have to slice it um, not exactly the partisan way. You know what I mean? You have to figure out something where where not everybody agrees with you, even the people who you would think would agree with you. You know, I mean I've – this guy – Joe Concha has a book coming about, out about Biden soon. And part of his spiel is that for conservatives, is that Joe Biden is in control of the presidency. And he's doing all the things that he said he would always do. And all the things you don't like are the things that you always didn't like. Um, it's time to admit Joe, Joe Biden is the president and a terrible president because, and I, we'll see if it works, but. You know the if you watch Fox Fox is like you know Joe Biden is essentially a mummy whose whose lips are being pulled with strings or a stick or something, and some cabal of people is running the country and so we'll see if it works, but he's he's trying to you know confirm people's opinion that Joe Biden is a bad president, but try to tell them that in a new a different way than what they've been thinking so far, yeah.
0: Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that sounds, that sounds about right. Uh, let me, um, let me, uh, pull up the, the, the list of myths here. You did, you did, a. you did like a, uh, I don't know, it was seven, eight, ten tweet threads, something like that. Just the, just the li- the list of myths. And I want to run through them real quick for folks. Uh, you should be following Eric, by the way, on Twitter. His handle is at literary Eric. It's just great, great stuff. If you're interested in, um, in the uh, the business of books uh, and 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 all that stuff, again at literary Eric, go follow him right now. Um, and also, if you right, want to so see
1: we... tweets praising Jared Kushner and Tim Miller, you know, and <laughs> yeah, and Jonathan you... Last and Pete Hegseth. So if you want, <laughs> yeah, if you want to be driven it's, crazy uh, by.
0: This is this is my life. This is where this is what I what I what I'm what I live with. All right, so uh all right, so myth number 1, you can buy your way onto the bestseller list. We've talked about this a little bit, but uh what what is what what are the formulas that, that these uh lists use to to try and yes. stop that?
1: I mean, it it boggles my mind that people think the New York Times and Nielsen BookScan would have made no effort to keep people from gaming their way onto the list. Um And so, uh, part of the thing with their complicated way of, of doing the math at the New York Times is to try to eliminate people who buy, who could buy their way onto the list. And they leave people off every week who appear to have gotten their sales in some non fully traditional way. You can look at the PW list with this book scan every week and compare the two, and there's going to be a book, usually a business book, um, on the PW list that's not on the New York Times list because they have decided the way that this book was bought was um, not right. Or another thing you very commonly see is um, uh, that they have discounted some, some bulk sales on the New York Times list um, and where the PW is not. So the PW, it'll be number five in the PW list, and it'll be number 12 on the New York Times list because they have somehow feel like they've sorted out the books so one of the things about the dagger on the new york times list is um incredibly misleading because um they they say that it it's went it this book has had bulk sales um but it really appears like it's the books where they've discounted the bulk sales because it, it's the books that tend to be either by politicians or um business leaders where there are, you know, they go to an event and they sell a thousand copies to the venue having the event, and those books are, are ranked a thousand copies lower than they otherwise would be on the New York Times list. And PW also will leave books off for books for book sales. Um, the the Nielsen book scan list also leaves books off all the time where they have enough units to get on, but they've decided that either because of the geographic spread or the amount sold versus the total amount um, of available inventory that they think something is fishy and they'll leave it off their list. And so there used to be people sometimes linked to a book, to, to an article in the Wall Street Journal 11 years ago about a company that you could pay to help you get on the New York Times list, um, but the New York Times has reformulated their list many times since then, and so has Nielsen BookScan in an attempt to drive that co- company out of business, and they sort of did. You can't hire that company yeah. anymore to try to do this. Yeah. Uh,
0: uh. All right. So that that's myth number two. Dagger means he. Uh, the author bought his way on. Uh, myth number three. The RNC has a basement full
1: of books. Yeah. This is. Um. Uh. It, this really started because. Um. Don Jr., uh, he had a book that came out from Center Street, and um, the RNC bought copies and gave the copies away as a donor premium if you donated $75, right? Um, the, the thing is, um, there, there's a bunch of reasons why this doesn't make any sense. One his book sold 75,000 copies the first week, and the number two book sold 45,000 copies. So, I mean, he blew away the number two book. There was never – the the 5,000 copies the RNC bought made no difference to him being number one. Two, um, they're often bought through books a million, um, and it's not clear that those count that, – that they're not being excluded. They're likely being excluded from any calculation in the list, and a lot of times – it's not even clear if, Barnes, if Books A Million is reporting those to the Times or Nielsen BookScan. They often show up very weird. Like, Jared Kushner did have some bulk sales. They they were supposed to appear a certain week. They came out the first week, which we didn't want because we didn't want the dagger and we didn't want... We just said, if there's any bulk sales, make sure they're not in the first week so we don't get the dagger. So it's absolutely pristine. They were counted. They got the dagger. Whatever. Um, but but the, the RNC... Actually, I, I had heard that they bought over 15,000 copies of Don Jr.'s book and they bought them in 1,000 copy tranches over time, which makes sense. I mean, if you've ever been at a nonprofit where they're using something as a fundraiser, you could just donate $75. Like the RNC is not just randomly mailing people copies of Don Jr.'s book, it's the people who when that email came out, that okay, this I'm gonna order, I'm gonna give seventy five dollars, and I'm gonna get my signed copy mm-hmm. of Don Jr.'s book. Um, and they're also, like I said, often cop buy them in like one thousand copy tranches. So there's no, um, the, there's no reason for them to have them just sitting in the basement. And then people are like, well, so the you know it's to help Don Jr. with the royalties, and it's a way of for every twenty-five dollar book he sells, he's getting like three fifty, and they can just hire Kimberly Guilfoyle at sixty thousand dollars a minute to give a speech. Like they just want to give money to the Trumps. They just give money to the Trumps. It's a terrible way to yeah. give money to the Trumps to buy five thousand copies. If your intention is to pulp them, yeah. So that he yeah. can, so that he can get, uh, that he can get fifteen percent of that. Yeah.
0: I mean, this is uh, th- this we, this is a, a one of the, the myths later on, um, basically, that you can you can bribe a politician with book
1: sales. Yeah, I had a politician. I had someone try to help me bribe a politician with book sales. Um, I don't even remember who it was, but somebody said, I'm going to have a guy call you. He's this guy. Google him. I Google him. He's like, you know, the 72nd richest person in America. He calls me. He was like, have you ever heard of this congressperson? And I was like, no. And he's like, would you be interested in a book by her? And I was like, probably not. And he was like, what if I was going to buy 20,000 copies? And I was like, well, that's a lot more cartons than you think. <laughs> like, I hope you have a whole warehouse of somewhere to put those and you don't plan on returning them. Um, and I said, but it's not a good way um, for her to make money. So she was a house member. She can't take an advance. And he was like, yeah, but then she can get the royalties from the book. And I was like, well... You know, if you spend one million dollars on books, and he's like, "I'm not going to spend a million dollars on the book," I was like, "Okay, great." If You sell one million dollars in books; it's that's going to get her like a hundred and twenty-five. Whoops, one hundred and twenty-five thousand um, dollars to, in royalties, like a year and a half from now, um, minus yeah. the ghost is like fifty thousand dollars, so maybe seventy-five thousand dollars for your million-dollar spend. And he was like, oh, well, fuck that. And I was like, yes, yeah, yes, exactly. And he was like, all right, well, it was very nice talking to you And he hung up and left. Because he was like, <laughs> "Like when he heard the math, he was like, now it's insane. I could just like hire her husband as a consultant for $75,000. Yeah.
0: Very nice talking to you. Thank, for, thank you for explaining why my bribe would not make sense. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that,
0: that is perfect. Uh, all right. Uh, we we already discussed you can buy your way to number one on Amazon. Um and uh, Obama or, or Donald Trump Jr. were bestsellers because of donors, uh, politicians. Politicians line their pockets this way.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is part of the, um, this is part of the myth about like the the, the bribery thing is that um, that you can that you could get rich doing this. The re, the the way that they make any money from doing it is. You know, Ted Cruz is somebody who can appear on Fox, and we just established that Fox is um, very good at selling books. So, um, you you get them on Fox. So it's it's the amount of money that they're making is moderately lucrative, but it's really based on their ability to to get on TV and having their campaign buy books is. Um, and often, you know, if you're a senator and you get a half million dollars, um, remember that the you've got to earn that out before you see anything past the $500,000. And so buying 5,000 copies for your campaign doesn't begin to fill in the bucket of the $500,000, you know, not like a Mark Levin appearance does. So it's so much it makes so much more sense to just get focused on trying to sell books at events and Mark Levin. Yeah. It's kind of like the same with with cheating in elections is like when you look at how much money it would take to bribe people for 10,000 votes, it just makes more sense to try to get 10,000 people to vote instead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: all right. Speaking of senators, uh, publishing houses give out the advances in, in exchange for huge favors. And I just want to read the tweet here because it, 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 you know, it's perfect. This one boggles my mind. What valuable benefit could a New York based publishing house possibly get by giving it an advance to Ted Cruz or Elizabeth Warren aside from book sales or bragging rights?
1: Yeah. Why, why, why Why do people think this? Yeah. um, There. Yeah. I, I I think it starts with um, Newt Gingrich got um, some many millions of dollars from Harper Collins um, I guess 25 years ago now. And it was investigated by the House Ethics Committee and led to House members not being allowed to get advances. And um, there was some feeling that this was Rupert Murdoch just handing Newt Gingrich millions of dollars. But even, at least in that case, um, there's some benefit you could see to if you If you gave Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer a book deal, worth an unprecedented number of millions of dollars, you could say they're trying to influence policy. But even then, it's not beneficial to the publishing company. Like maybe there's some, some, you know, like Rupert Murdoch would, would be passing out money in exchange for having his political beliefs enacted. But like Newt Gingrich is going to do Newt Gingrich stuff whether Rupert Murdoch gave him money or not. You know, it doesn't it, the 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 where the the publishing company makes out benefiting doesn't make any sense. We, we're not we're not regulated in such a way that it would be that helpful. Like when 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 Andrew Cuomo got his huge advance, if he had somehow allowed us to like deduct biodegradable ink from our state taxes. You know, it's worth tens of thousands of dollars. I don't know. I'm like ballparking it here, but there's there's nothing that Andrew Cuomo could do for a company that's worth five million dollars, except for if he was able to sell, um, you know, one million copies of his book, which he did not, because two of the worst deals for politician books ever are both Andrew Cuomo. He wrote two books, (laughs) and both were phenomenal disasters for their publishing company.
0: Yeah. That sounds about right. Uh, I mean, it, this gets to the last, the last myth here, which is that politicians are always best sellers, so there must be a scam. And that—that's a myth that, I, like, I'm surprised people think it because anytime I hear a story about politicians and book sales, it's usually like, "Well, this politician has drastically underperformed their advance again." Yeah. This is this is uh, this has happened again. And I'm I'm curious from your perspective as an editor, why do why do houses keep making these deals?
1: So, um, I mean, pu- publishers do th- bad, dumb things all the time. And there is something that every, and, you know, it's like an economics 101 thing called um, the winner's curse for auctions, which is that the more people in an auction, the more likely it is that the person who pays the most has grossly overestimated the value of the thing that they're buying. Um, and yeah. so when you have. Um, when you have, like, when Kamala Harris was shopping her book, and I, I don't know, there, there was a lot of complications around that. There was a, there was a rumor that she had gotten two million dollars, and then, but then the deal maybe fell apart. I don't know. That's it's a little outside of my purview, and it was a little secretive, but it was it was supposedly two million dollars was the original amount, and the reason was not that hard to understand, which is that people thought she had a chance of being president. And the person who thought that for $2 million worth was clear was delusional. I mean, she could still be president. Joe Biden could be dead while we're talking now, but um, she's not going to get elected on her own. Um, But what happened was that was something where there were, you know, like 17 different editors who wanted to bid on it. So then the person who was the 17th dumbest editor is the person who wins it. So... Yeah, and and, yeah. and they they they're famous and they get on TV and you know, but people make this mistake in the other direction, in that you know, Elon Omar wrote a book, sold nothing. Matt Gates wrote a book, it sold nothing, and partially it's because they're like this person is really famous, everyone is always talking about them, so their book must be a bestseller. But it's like if the people talking about you are not your fans, because remember, only your fans are buying things. This idea. This is another thing people do say. It's not on my list of myths, but it's a common one is people will say, authors will say to me like, oh, you'd be surprised how many people hate me. And they'll buy the book just to read it to be mad at me. And I'm like, no, they won't. <laughs> There's no evidence in existence that people will buy Jared Kushner book, Jared Kushner's book, because they hate Jared and just want. Yeah. Yeah. Even the famous New York Times. Yeah. Reveal, yeah no, I don't think Dwight Garner read it. I'll go on the record saying that the book has no his review has no overlap with the actual book. Whereas like Laura Miller and slate hated it as you clearly read the book and hated it on things yeah. that they're not the things I would have focused on, but I understand why her readers would be like, yes, I legitimately would hate that about the book.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, this is, uh, I, this gets to an important distinction between the hate click economy and the subscriber economy. You subscribe to the things you love, you you'll hate click and hate share things that you can read for free and hate, but like that there, the overlap there is not, is not, uh, particularly
1: good. Yeah. That's why Facebook shares are a much better indicator of potential sales than tweets are. Meaning, you know, if, if you wrote, um, if you wrote a piece and, uh, and it went viral on Twitter, then you've got, um, possibly a book. If you write it and it, goes viral on facebook you definitely have a book because on twitter people are sharing things much more negatively and so you it could just be everyone dunking on you whereas in facebook um people are saying this thing that Sonny bunch wrote is me i want you all to know my personality is this headline from the bulwark and so that's that's, that's a a a a, much more that's, motivating. A, that's <laughs> a scary thing <laughs> it's that's, a much that's more a motivating scary sentiment. idea yeah
0: uh all right well that was that was everything i wanted to ask i always like to close these interviews by asking if there's anything i should have asked if you think there's anything folks should know about the world of book publishing uh you know uh the intersection of politics and culture and and books and all that uh in general or uh, just you know, i do uh, so
1: so one thing you had started with talking about tim miller and jared and i've done david from and pete Hegseth, and i've done you know um people from all across the political spectrum and the standard that I use for will I publish a book is, um, is this commercially viable? There's an audience for it. And will it be filled with true stuff? And that seems like a low bar when I say it aloud, but you know, I I've had since, since 2020, um, I mean, since 2021, I've had, I forget now, but it's like 15 New York times bestsellers. Um, Almost all of them conservative, and th- and none of them alleged the election was stolen. None of them said COVID is a hoax. None of them said you know uh, Fauci is purposely destroying America's public school system to start a uh, some you know the Great Reset or something. And um, sometimes it feels like I've done all of the conservative bestsellers that didn't say that. Like I've I am I am <laughs> driving you know between two very large uh, boulders in an attempt to not get crushed by them. And so the reason, like, Jared's book, um, you could be mad at it, but I think if if people read it, they'll actually see an honest person trying to, to do their best to reckon with where they were for four years. And same for Tim Miller. And, you know, Lou Dobbs did a book called The Trump Century, that if you read it, you could hate it, but you're not going to find that it's filled with, you know fake things or you know footnotes that lead to to a blog by a dentist so that that's a standard is if it's if it's true and it's you know i think it improves the discourse to do any book that is at least filled with true things and smart arguments yeah uh i think that truthfulness
0: and smart smart intelligent arguments too too important uh things and I'm glad I'm I look I'm I hope the you know the book market maintains its equilibrium as we as we see all of the other cultural entities kind of you know uh, have have their issues. Uh so I'm I'm uh I'm I'm happy to see books being sold regardless of who was writing them. Uh Eric, thank you very much for being on. I really appreciate it. Um again follow him on Twitter. Uh, at literary Eric, uh, check out check out the books that he has edited. edit was the editor on uh, and uh, and I, I again. If you haven't, if you're listening to this, you've probably read Tim's book. But if you have not, make sure you pick it up again. He was very much the inspiration for this. Yeah, very good whole episode, which I thought was I thought was fun. Uh, uh, my name is Sonny Bunch. I'm the culture editor at the Bulwark, and I will be back next week with another episode of the Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. We'll see you guys then.